Extra Daily Planet Extra. Everybody, welcome to episode 34 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and yes, it is not quite Christmas yet, so I have uh, another shared fandom to get out before my next Christmas episode. As on the last time, I discussed uh, phase one of mine and Haley's watch through of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is going to be the next installment of that. We're going to call this phase two ish, as it's not really all of Phase 2, as I did Iron Man 3 the last time. And I do uh, stick uh, the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie into uh, Phase 2, as it seems to only take place a few months after the first one. So there are six movies on tap for this episode. And I just counted it out. That leaves nine for the Phase 3 episode when we get to that. So this week I'll be, uh, you know, just kind of going through Haley and my viewing experience of Thor the Dark World, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Ant-Man. So basically the uh, conclusion of Phase 2. But before I get to that, I have feedback to address. Feedback here is from Dave Beckelvenny. Dave's writing in on a Man of Screen Extra Episode 33, the first edition of uh, Shared Fandom. And Dave writes, Greetings Mike and Haley if she's interested in my comments. I'm really enjoying hearing about your shared fandom experience with Haley. I love the idea of father and daughter enjoying the same movies while having different views and favorites within the series. I'm not surprised that Haley enjoyed Captain Marvel, which seems aimed in some ways at girls around her age, although grown-up slash old men can enjoy it too. It also makes sense that she wouldn't necessarily notice Clark Gregg as Phil Coulson in the beginning because it's not obvious in the early films how important he is to the franchise, and he doesn't have especially standout looks to call a lot of attention to the character. I did find it interesting that you mentioned that you hadn't particularly expected Loki to be the threat that would bring the Avengers together, especially since in the comic book's origin of the team, he was exactly the threat that brought them together. I remember when the movie The Avengers was announced, I was excited to get to see Ant-Man and the Wasp, since they were two of the uh, five original members, but it was slightly disappointed to have to wait a few years to see them. Although I'm more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy, I do very much enjoy the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whether DC or Marvel. My sweet spot is solidly Silver Age. Hope you and Haley uh, enjoy exploring these movies and every other shared fandom you can for many years to come. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. As always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I don't really have a ton to add here to Dave's comments. Uh, I mean, Haley and I have been having a lot of fun just going through uh, these films and, and some of the other fandoms uh, we've uh, picked up along the way. You know, we did Star Wars. And the Harry Potter books seem to... Uh, have gone on pause since school started, but so that's not necessarily a surprise. But we do find time for a Mandalorian every week, uh, and 
we do carve out one of the two days on the weekend to watch a movie. We've been solidly MCU now for a while. Once in a while, uh, something will come in to interrupt that for a week or so. But when we don't have anything else, it's our MCU watch through that's uh, taking a great deal of our time. So I wasn't expecting Haley to remember Clark Gregg and Phil Colson in Captain Marvel. But see, being that we had watched Captain Marvel before Iron Man, I was kind of hoping she'd make that connection from Captain Marvel to seeing Colson in Iron Man. Although... You're right, Dave. His looks are uh, very uh, nondescript, whereas, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury got far more attention in Captain Marvel and has a much more distinctive look than Clark Gregg. And as far as my surprise about Loki being the uh, threat that brought the Avengers together, at this point, Dave, when the Avengers movie came out, I hadn't read the original or any early Avengers comics yet. I probably had barely read read any Avengers comics at that point. I still haven't read a ton. I've been following along the Make Hours Marvel podcast, and so I have read some of the introductory issues to just about all the characters that we've seen in the movies, and I was unaware that Loki was the threat that brought the Avengers together, and and Loki is very quickly becoming a, a fan favorite of ours, much more so than he was even for me at first. So, so yeah, and as far as your disappointment about not seeing Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, I believe I remember reading somewhere that there was some kind of agreement with, I think it was Edgar Wright at the time he was attached to Ant-Man before Peyton Reed came on that the MCU wouldn't show Ant-Man and the Wasp before the solo film, which obviously was at the end of Phase 2. All right, so I have uh, nothing else to say on Dave's letter. Uh, We are enjoying it and continuing to enjoy it. We haven't stopped yet, although I hope we don't get into a rut in the early phases of uh, Phase 3 because I know Doctor Strange is probably going to be a speed bump. It's not one of my favorites, as I don't really care for magic, and that's something Haley has no frame of reference for. So I guess we'll see as we go forward. So at this point, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. When I come back, I'll start talking about uh, Haley and I's uh, first trip through Phase 2-ish of the MCU. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on a mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, make, make ours Marvel. All right, welcome back, folks. So, after uh, I picked, I left off last episode, uh, Haley and I had just watched Iron Man 3, as you you recall. If you don't recall, you can go back to... to uh, the previous Man of Screen Extra dropped in uh, late October. 
that Haley, that the only reason I put Iron Man 3 in the Phase 1 episode is because it does seem like more of an ending to Phase 1 than a beginning of Phase 2. And plus, we had watched it already. Even though Haley and I had earlier today watched Captain America Civil War, I am not going to talk about that one in this episode because that is very much the start of Phase 3. That is a huge turning point in the direction of the MCU. It's almost a transitional film where the Russo brothers kind of take charge of the uh, of the Avengers. So uh, we started with Thor The Dark World. After all this time, now you come to visit me, brother. Why? To mock. I need your help. But I wish I could trust you. If you did, you'd be the fool I always took you for. Some believe that before the universe, there was nothing. They're wrong. There was darkness, and it has survived. What's gonna happen? I gave you my word. I would return for you. You face an enemy, not only to a few, known only to one. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help. If we do nothing, they will destroy us. You even think about betraying us. I'll kill you. That was from New York. I like her. Thor, your bravery will not ease your pain. Your family. Your world will be extinguished. We're running out of time. The very fabric of reality can be torn apart. I'll find a way to save us all. Coming in, I was very concerned about this stretch of Iron Man 2, Thor The Dark World, because if I must rank Marvel movies, they are closer to the bottom for me. And to be fair, Iron Man 3 still kind of bores me to tears a little bit. But uh, I think I have a little bit more of an appreciation for Thor The Dark World after having seen Avengers Endgame, which in which Thor travels back in time to the events of this film so seeing it get the love that it got in endgame made me uh, look at it a different way and Haley seemed to enjoy this movie she's like i said i may have said this in the last episode she's starting to enjoy some spooky stuff and watching this film and being introduced to the ether which is one of the infinity stones 
I don't think that's particularly revealed in, or maybe it is. It is in the uh, post credit scene that this is an Infinity Stone, although I'm not remembering which one it was. The Ether was the Reality Stone, so things are starting to come together. We've already seen that the Tesseract is uh, the Space Stone. This is the Reality Stone, and I think Haley seemed to make a connection to Stranger Things in this episode, which is a show that she's really been enjoying, where when Jane deals with the uh, convergence and the kind of the distortion of reality, that seemed to remind her of the concept of the Upside Down, so she made a connection to Stranger Things with that concept, even though it's not quite the same thing in this episode, so. She is uh, continuing to enjoy the Thor films more than I did at first. Of the three, my f- favorite is the first. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how she uh, reacts to Thor Ragnarok, but she's starting to feel the absence of the Hulk a little bit, so uh, maybe his presence there will help. And, but she's uh, grown an attachment to the character of Loki, which was a bit of a surprise. I think she recognized it, even though Loki and wound up the villain was cast the villain in Thor and uh, the Avengers. He's showing that he's a more complicated character than just the bad guy. And Thor is still his brother despite everything, and he still has uh, some love for Frigga, so that stood out to her. And uh, she was upset, actually, a little bit when, at the end, she thought Loki was uh, dead. And here I am, kind of sitting a few feet to the left, trying to, you know, purse my lips because I don't want to tell her anything. There's a lot of times as it is during the movie, I tell her to pay attention to certain things uh, more than others because her attention uh, does tend to drift. Especially I've noticed in the bigger films, the ones that are longer. You know, once we once films start hitting two and a half hours, she starts to struggle. A little bit with the Age of Ultron and uh, a lot today with uh, Civil War. But that's something I'll get to later. She's We're already at the point where she's starting to say, oh my God, how am I going to get through Endgame? I think she's dreading that uh, three-hour uh, marathon. But that's a uh, talk for another day and uh you know there were things that she had no use for in uh this film like uh things like uh, eric solvig running around naked and uh she had no understanding of why uh, he was uh walking around with no pants after he's rescued from the uh nut house there but apparently it helps him think as i recall the reasoning was so you know she's noticing that uh these movies tend to uh kind of dissolve in the third act, kind of into that CGI soup. And uh, she's more invested in the characters, the relationships, even though she doesn't remember half these people from one movie to the next, that her uh, brain just kind of checks out a little bit in the third act uh, when we get to what she calls the ending battle, which, you know, I don't think she was nearly as invested in the, and I know I'm not either, in the battle with the Dark Elves as... She is invested in the relationships between Thor and Loki and his mother and what was happening to Jane. Although she does find uh, Darcy and Solvig funny and she found the bit with uh, Darcy and her intern. What was his name? Ian, I believe. She found that bit humorous. And she was happy to see that Loki did survive the film, although she did not quite understand how he wound up on the throne of Asgard disguised as Odin. But that is something she will discover later. So we moved on from that to uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. You do anything fun Saturday night? Well, all the guys in my barbershop quartet are dead, so no, not really. You know, if you ask Kristen out from statistics, she'd probably say yes. That's why I don't ask. Too shy? 
Too busy. Was he wearing a parachute? No. No, he wasn't. I joined S.H.I.E.L.D. to protect people. Captain, to build a better world sometimes means tearing the old one down. And that makes enemies. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. He's fast. Strong. Had a metal arm. Are you ready? All it takes is one step. People are gonna die. I can't let that happen. When do we start? We just did. The price of freedom is high. And it's a price I'm willing to pay. He told me not to trust anyone. This is how it ends. Everything goes. Looks like you're giving the orders now, Captain. Damn right. We know the good guys from the bad guys. If they're shooting at you, they're bad. This is, and despite everything, this is still my favorite MCU film. This film, to me, is a real game changer. It's funny how the films that I consider to be game changers tend to be. Uh, Captain America films, and films by the Russo brothers, so that kind of cements the fact that the Captain America films are my favorite of the MCU, and this is one of those films, lots of moving parts, I kind of had to keep Haley focused a little bit, and this movie wasn't that long, but a lot of stuff in this film that needs to be paid attention to that's going to be called back to later. My question is, you know, when we get to Endgame, will she remember on your left? Because that was a, you all know. That was a huge moment in Endgame when they all come out. You hear Sam and on your left and they all start coming out. So maybe she'll remember that. Maybe she won't. I'll see when we get to Endgame. But, you know, lots of moving parts. You know, you think uh, Fury's dead at one point and you realize he's not. I've noticed that uh, the Russos seem to uh, like putting Captain America on the run. They've done it twice. You know, she continues to enjoy the presence of uh, Black Widow. And she actually remembered Agent 13. She wasn't as invested in S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA to really feel anything or notice anything or even really care for that matter when we learned that HYDRA was kind of an infection growing within S.H.I.E.L.D. But she does did remember certain characters. She remembered Senator Stern, uh, Gary Shanklin's character from Iron Man 2 uh, when Cap was questioning Agent Sitwell on the roof. And he mentioned Stephen Strange. I told her to remember that name. 
whether it actually will next week when we watch Doctor Strange, I don't know. And I had to remind her who Armin Zola was. But she doesn't, you know, I've seen these movies enough times that I remember everything. I don't know if she's ever going to watch them again. She might watch some of them, but, you know, it's funny because she liked this one a lot more than she liked Captain America, the first Avenger. Her main complaint with that film was how long it took him to get his costume, which, fair enough, it's probably more of a straight origin story than most of the Marvel movies. Even even Iron Man, which is probably close second in that regard, had Tony in some kind of iron suit pretty much right away. So, but like I said, to me, this film is a real game changer. She Black Widow had a prominent role for that, was something she enjoyed. And these are the characters she seemed to remember quite a bit. And and I think because at this point, some of the characters' looks are very distinctive. The Falcon has a very distinctive look. So when she saw a Falcon again later, she recognized him. And, and even though I kind of had to remind her of who Bucky was, she's starting to get a little bit more attached to the character of Bucky through uh, the Winter Soldier. She didn't, I don't think she got all the nuance about the mind control and all that. And... I'll talk about her reaction to uh, Civil War another time. But uh, I don't know if that started with Winter Soldier or if it started today with uh, Civil War. I seem to think this has been going on for a while. (laughs) Whenever she hears Bucky, Bucky's mentioned, she refers to him as Buck. I don't know. Maybe Bucky sounds too weird to her. I don't know. But, you know, that's uh, a relationship she gravitated to. And uh, the storyline of Steve uh, just basically trying to save his friend once he finds out that it's his friend is something that uh, really grabbed her. And, of course, she was also happy to see that uh, Nick Fury was still alive after getting shot at in his apartment. And, you know, the action is good. But this is probably the most grounded of the MCU films, at least I think. And, yeah, she liked that better than uh, the first Captain America film, which I do too. All right, so from there, we moved on to Guardians of the Galaxy. Legendary Outlaw? Forget it. We arrested these five on Xandar. Check out the rap sheets. Drax, AKA the Destroyer. Since his wife and family were killed, he's been on a rampage across the galaxy in his search for vengeance. Gamora, soldier, assassin, wanted on over a dozen counts of murder. Rocket, wanted on over 50 charges of vehicular theft and escape from lockup. What the hell? Root. He's been traveling recently as Rocket's personal houseplant slash muscle. Peter Jason Quill. He's also known as Star Lord. Who calls him that? Himself, mostly. He's wanted largely on charges of minor assault, public intoxication, and fraud. Oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't know how this machine worked. Hey, hey, hey! That's mine. You son of a bitch. Hey! Take those headphones off right now! Ah! 
themselves the guardians of the galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. Her reaction to this film surprised me. She didn't like it. And I don't know why. I was surprised. I thought she would. For one, she enjoys Star Wars. And this is the probably most Star Wars-like of any MCU film. She saw enough of either Endgame when we went to see it in the theaters or Infinity War to recognize Rocket enough to the point where she calls him the raccoon of cuteness, which... To me, there's nothing cute about Rocket. Nothing cute about a foul-mouthed uh, raccoon with a large weapon. That doesn't make him not awesome, but not necessarily cute. And honestly, I don't go gaga over this one either the way everyone else does. I enjoy it. I don't necessarily think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread like some people do. But, you know, but it's good. I think it's well done. I like... uh Gamora and Nebula, and she did enjoy seeing Thanos. So she does know some things, and uh, seeing Thanos here helped her through it. I thought maybe she'd recognize Ronan from having been in, granted it was only a few minutes at the end of Captain Marvel, being on the ship. Uh, he has a very distinctive look as well, so I thought that she might remember it, but you no know, such luck. And uh, she didn't remember that uh, Man Han Suza character either whose name i'm not recalling he was in captain marvel as well as the same character and uh, she didn't recognize him either so but you know it had been several months since we'd watched captain marvel to that point so i think uh, i could definitely forgive her not remembering that one particular character some of the characters in this film are very distinctive such as groot and yondu and you know she seemed to like uh peter quill's antics the shtick with drax the destroyer can get pretty old after a while but i think she seemed to latch on to the relationship a little bit between Gamora and Nebula, being that they were sisters, both working for Thanos, trying to kind of do his will. They're chasing an Infinity Stone in this film, too. I think I think this one is the Power Stone. The Power Stone, which wound up on nowhere, I think it's called, with the ether. I even pointed out the ether when uh, we saw it sitting in the collector's uh, domain there. The reason why they didn't bring, they didn't keep the ether on Asgard is because the Tesseract was already there with its Infinity Stone. And, you know, as far as the end goes, well, the final battle is a dance-off. So, yeah. Although, I and I did pick up uh, things this time around that I didn't the first time. Uh, especially, I noticed, seemed to notice more this time, as opposed to the last time I watched it, how well the first film does flow right into the second Guardians film. And that's something I'm going to talk about after this promo break. Hang around, folks. Love him or hate him, everybody's got something to say about John Byrne. He ruined the X-Men when he left. That John Byrne, he's a sexist pig. The only thing bigger than John Byrne's ego is... Oh wait, there isn't anything bigger than John Byrne's ego. John Byrne, oh, he, he just draws the greatest butt on Superman. It looks so good. John Byrne is the greatest artist I've ever seen. Wait, who is he? 
John Byrne's 1986 Man of Steel series gave us the core reimagining of Superman that is still with us today. Third Degree Burn, a podcast about all things John Byrne. The good, the bad, and the legendary. Join Tim Elliott and Brian Hughes as they look over the nearly five decades body of work of one of the most influential comic book creators in the last 50 years. Third Degree Burn can be found at twotruefreaks.com and on iTunes. I've got a question, though. I'm just am curious. Why? Doesn't Green Lantern have any junk? Welcome back, folks. I'm going to finish off with the uh, last uh, three films that of my phase two-ish Man of Screen Extra. From Guardians of the Galaxy, we could have gone straight through uh, in release order to Avengers Age of Ultron, but we didn't. Uh, we took a stopover. I, we imported from phase three, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Hope you're ready. It'll be here any minute. Is that a rifle? You don't know what a rifle looks like? It's just swords were your thing and guns were mine. But I guess we're both doing guns now. I just didn't know that. Well, that's intense. I see it within you. Fear. Jealousy. Betrayal. It is our duty to cleanse the universe of this weakness. You know, they told me you people were conceited douchebags, but that isn't true at all. Dude. Uh, I'm using my wrong eye. Groot, put your seatbelt on! <laughs> so we're saving the galaxy again? Yep. Awesome! We're really going to be able to jack up our prices for two-time Galaxy Savers. Yes! thing you're searching for your whole life it's right there by your side all along you're right all you do is yell at each other you are not friends no we're family except maybe her years I've found you and who the hell are you I'm your dad Peter 
which is what I do. I be, because I believe it's somewhere in in that movie they say it's four months after the events of the first film, and I believe when you do the math with the years and whatnot on the screen that it brings you to 2014. And I think it works right after the first film because the narrative flows very well. And the one thing that I do find refreshing about the Guardians films, and especially the second film at the time it came out and that I saw for the first time, is is that it's not as tied in to the main through line of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The first film is because of the presence of the Power Stone, but Guardians 2 is completely unrelated. It is just a, a continuation of the story of, especially of Quill's story, because at the end of the first film, you uh, you find out that Yondu was supposed to take Quill to Ego, to his father, and it picks up right from there as eventually uh, Quill finds his father, who... We learn is uh, Celestial. I believe this is the first time Celestials are mentioned in the MCU. And Haley really got into this right from the beginning because of Baby Groot. You know, she enjoyed the uh, very end of Guardians. Although while she was sad that Groot died, she was very happy to see uh, the uh, the Baby Groot start to sprout. You know, when especially at the end where it's annoying Drax when it's dancing and then stops whenever he looks at it. And it's nice to see that continued here. And I think she really enjoyed the opening sequence. And I do, too, of uh, the battle going on. And really, the battles in the background, uh, they're fighting this, looks like this giant octopus alien thing. And the camera's focused on Baby Groot as he's running around doing stuff. And everybody's telling him to stay out of the way, and he's dancing. And, you know, I think just that, the whole Baby Groot stuff at the very beginning, really set the tone for Haley for this movie. And she even said it to me. She enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 much more than Volume 1. It's the opposite for me. I like uh, the first film better. But this one's got some great stuff for her. And I kind of knew that and expected it coming in because right from the beginning of watching The Mandalorian when we, when we were doing our Star Wars watch through last year, or, might be, or even earlier this year, wasn't even really last year, Rise of Skywalker came out about a year or so ago this week. And uh, that was really the start of it. So it was really at the beginning of this year, the first quarter, really, that we did the Star Wars watch through. And while she fell in absolute love with the character that at that time we knew only as Baby Yoda, we know now his name is Grogu. And if any of us actually refer to him as Baby Yoda, even out of habit, she will correct us. And uh, what I found is it's a little bit hard for her to say because she'll mispronounce it all the time and... uh, She'll say it's slow, and I'll sit there, Gogu, Gogu, Roku, yogurt, and then I'll just send her off into a into a dizzy. But uh, no, Baby Groot and Baby Yoda or Grogu definitely cut from the same cloth. I mean, I had almost forgotten about Baby Groot. I mean, I remembered him from the movie, but I'm watching. I was watching him here, and it's like, eh, I'm seeing lots of similarities between Baby Groot and uh, fuck it. I'm just I'm gonna call him Baby Yoda. And, you know, I even postulated on Facebook that I wondered if some of uh, Baby Groot's success in this film has uh, kind of informed uh, Baby Yoda over on The Mandalorian. Although, I will say I have decided, and if you disagree, well, that's your problem. I will say that Baby Groot is smarter than Grogu. 
under the simple fact that at the end, Baby Groot pushed the right button and saved everybody. That same week, a day or two earlier, we had watched The Mandalorian and Din was trying to get Grogu to put the wires together to fix something and the kid electrocuted himself. So one point for Baby Groot, no points for Grogu. Haley was very interested in Quill's story. Uh, there was some more with the sisters and uh, Gamora and Nebula, and uh, they seemed to come to an understanding, so she liked that. And we this is where we learn more about Quill and his family, his uh, screwed-up family that he has. And so, like I mentioned, we learned that his uh, father was a celestial. We learned that his father has uh, been having kids all over and killing them all. She didn't like that when she found out that they found the bones underneath the ground that were the uh, remains of his failed children. Quill was the only success. And then when we get to that moment where Ego reveals that he put the cancer in Meredith Quill's brain, essentially killing Peter's mom, well, she was just beside herself. And I believe she literally said at that moment, okay, you have to die now. (laughs) She wanted no more of Ego after that, so. Yeah, that was a, a better viewing experience than uh, the first Guardians film was. And I was, like I said, surprised at how much she didn't like the first Guardians film. But, you know, I'm not surprised that she liked the second one more. It's much more of a personal story than the first film. And then, of course, the antics with Rocket and Baby Groot are great. You know, you know, Ro- Rocket is in, you know, his normal sarcastic form. The banter between Quill and Rocket is great and funny. And look, Baby Groot is just adorable. Especially my favorite Baby Groot scene is, you know, not only the the stuff where Rocket's trying to teach him the buttons on the bomb. All right. First you flick this switch, then this switch. That activates it. Then you push this button, which will give you five minutes to get out of there. Now, whatever you do, don't push this button because that will set off the bomb immediately and we'll all be dead. Now, repeat back what I just said. I'm Groot. Uh-huh. I'm Groot. That's right. I'm Groot. No! That's the button that will kill everyone! Try again. Hmm. I'm Groot. Mm-hmm. I'm Groot. Uh-huh. I'm Groot. No! That's exactly what you just said! How is that even possible? Which button is the button you're supposed to push? Point to it. No! Hey, you're making him nervous! Shut up and give me some tape. When Baby Groot's learning how to use the bomb and uh, when they're trying to get him to get Yondu's fin out of the captain's nightstand there and he brings out just about everything except for the captain's fin. (laughs) And they keep sending him back and the arguments and the interactions in this film are are great. So this one was a success story for both of us for different reasons. You know, again, though, I've said this before with Haley. She doesn't like betrayal. And she saw Ego's killing of Peter's mom as a betrayal. And she won't have that. All right. So from there, we went back to the main MCU storyline with all of our familiar friends on Avengers Age of Ultron. I was designed to save the world. People who look to the sky and see hope. 
I'll take that from them first. There's only one path to peace. They're extinction. I tried to create a suit of armor around the world. But I created something terrible. Artificial intelligence. It's called the Ultron program. I'm sick of watching people pay for our mistakes. Isn't why we fight so we can end the fight and go home? Well, you amazingly failed. <laughs> Here we all are. With nothing but our wit and our will to save the world. So stand and fight. No way we all get through this. I got no plans tomorrow night. I'm always picking up after you, boys. We can tear them apart. From the inside. That's the best you can do! <laughs> you had ass. Although she doesn't remember, this is the first Avengers film that Haley saw in the theaters. This was about May 2015, so I remember uh, Haley would have been... This was probably a little bit after Haley's fourth birthday, and, well, she didn't make it. (laughs) Her her mother and uh, her had to sit outside while her stepbrother and I finished the film. So, this film, to me, was disappointing. It... While it introduces a lot, it's not really a game changer the way the first film was. The first Avengers film felt like a culmination, and in many ways it was. But at this point, we knew a lot of what was coming, which I do believe works against us sometimes. Because, you know, you watch Age of Ultron, you can see where they were setting the the groundwork for Civil War. And... I don't know, I I don't want to say that hampered my enjoyment of the film, but it's the kind of thing that takes you out a a little bit. But, you know, it's not a bad movie. It gets you from one point to another. It's a a decent standalone adventure. It's another Tony Stark screws up story. You know, you get the seeds for Civil War with uh, Tony and Banner kind of building Ultron behind everyone's back and then kind of what happened with Vision. So. You know, Haley liked it, but she enjoyed the uh, introduction of Wanda and uh, Quicksilver. And uh, she was uh, disappointed when uh, Quicksilver died. I could have gone into the whole uh, Fox, Disney, Quicksilver thing, but you know what? Why burden her with all that nonsense? Just, I'm just, I just want her to enjoy the films, you know? But there were great moments, especially, you know, at the end where the helicarrier shows up to rescue the people off of... Uh, the floating Sokovian city. I really don't have a lot to say about this. You know, it's just, it's a fun Avengers movie, but it does a lot of setup, much more setup than I really want to see from an Avengers film because it suffers from that problem Iron Man 2 has a little bit 
where they're just like the plot line after the the bit with where the Hulk uh, tears apart that city and and the fight with Iron Man, which Haley enjoyed the hell out of that, especially the whole uh, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. That that moment, you know, she thought that was funny, and I did too. You know, she enjoyed seeing Black Widow. She seemed interested in the new characters. Uh, you know, she liked seeing Sam and uh, Rhodey in the beginning, and you know, with, with the party, seeing all the, all the characters that were just kind of hanging out together. She enjoyed that. So, the one thing I did surprise her with is that I pointed out to her who uh, the actress that played uh, Hawkeye's wife was Linda Cardinelli, who was Velma in those early 2000s Scooby-Doo movies. She had to squint a little bit, but she did see it. You know, it's just she said she had a picture of her wearing orange and with big glasses. So I just feel like this movie sets up a little much. And, you know, obviously seeing all the stuff is uh, seeing the city being lifted is cool. And I don't really think she understood Vision too much. But if one thing it does introduce, it does give us another Infinity Stone. And when I reminded her that, there's another stone where... Keeping track of the Infinity Stones, I believe we're at four now. Two more will show up. The Time Stone's going to show up in Phase 3 and Doctor Strange and the other one somewhere else. So anyway, again, not a ton to say about Age of Ultron. And being that it's an Avengers movie, that's disappointing. So we finished Phase 2 about a week ago, which is when I really wanted to record this. But, you know, life finds a way to get in the way. And we finished off with Ant-Man. Imagine a soldier the size of an insect. The ultimate secret weapon. If you give godlike powers to everyone, it's going to be chaos. So how do we stop him? I know a guy. Scott, I've been watching you for a while. You're different. I believe everyone deserves a shot at redemption. Do you? Absolutely. My days of breaking into places and stealing stuff are over. What do you want me to do? I want you to break into a place and steal some stuff. Makes sense. Are you ready to become a hero? Now, the suit has power. You have to learn how to control it. And these are your greatest allies. You're kind of cute. Whoa. When you're small, you have superhuman strength. You like a bullet. So you need to know how to punch. You want to show me how to punch? Show me how to punch. That's how you punch. to hide your suit from me. Now, it's gonna blow up in your face and destroy everyone you care about. Scott, get out of there! Did you think you could stop the future? You're just a thief! No. I'm Ant-Man. I know. It wasn't my idea.
honestly, she thought the title was a little bit ridiculous, like Ant-Man, you know, but this was a movie that I really thought she'd love because of the comedy, and the comedy landed for where it needed to be. Uh, she enjoyed the relationship with Scott and his daughter. I'm pretty sure when Scott was breaking into Hank Pym's house early on, uh, she was yelling at him for doing that, They like saying stuff like, hey, that's what got you in jail in the first place. You know, the mother, you know, but... You know, I knew she'd like this one because of the comedy, the antics of uh, the guys, and what she would call the ending battle of this film is just so much fun. With uh, the battle in uh, Cassie's bedroom with the giant, with the Thomas the Train, with them playing up, with them fighting on the train set, and she she was pretty into the ants too, which surprised me. I thought she'd you know be grossed out, but you know she uh, she enjoyed watching him. Uh, Messed with the ants, and uh, she seemed to like the relationship between Scott and Hope. And honestly, I don't know a ton about Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne. I'm much more familiar with Hank Pym and and Janet Van Dyne than I am these two. I mean, my Marvel Comics reading is quite limited. So everything I know about Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, I know from this movie. So she enjoyed this film as much as I thought she would. Especially, you know, like I said, the... The battle in the bedroom and uh, <laughs> what ends up as the giant ant basically becoming the family's dog. And she liked the reactions. And she glommed onto the story about Hope's mom. And she thought, and you can't really blame her for thinking this, that when Scott went subatomic at the end of the film, that he would have brought Janet Van Dyne back out of the uh, the quantum realm, which he didn't. Because if he didn't do that, then we have nothing for the next film. But, you know, I kind of told her that. Oh, you can't do everything in one movie. But, you know, she really liked Ant-Man. Oh, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention how excited she got when Scott was going into the Stark, the Tony Stark complex to get that device. And when the clouds part and she realizes that it's the Avengers compound. And she was like. (gasps) <gasps> she was shocked and excited, and I thought she believed that she would see more Avengers as opposed to just uh, Falcon, but she enjoyed the hell out of uh, the Falcon and Ant-Man fight, and she was really looking forward to seeing uh, Ant-Man in again. Fortunately for her, that's going to be uh, sooner rather than later. As of this recording, she saw Ant-Man already. So, again, this is our, that's our next, uh, that's the second part of our voyage through the MCU. We didn't stop, so uh, we've already watched Civil War. So Next time, though, as there are nine films remaining, it'll be a couple of months before I get to uh, Phase 3. What's next is the remainder. Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Spider-Man Far From Home, and I'm hoping I haven't forgotten anything. Well, I won't because I do own them all, so... Next time will be my Christmas episode, as Christmas is only a week away, and I've decided what I'm going to do. At first, I thought about doing Die Hard, because oh, everybody t- I did Lethal Weapon last year, and everyone talks about how much of a Christmas film Die Hard is, but you know what? I'm not going to do Die Hard, because, and Die Hard does have a Superman connection, even though I struggled to find it. Uh, I think the guy's name is Paul Gleason, who plays... Uh, Special Agent Johnson also plays the villain Henry Harrison in the first season Lois and Clark episode, 
Behind the Metropolis. Die Hard 2 has uh, a couple, at least one Superman connection as well that I can think of. So instead of Die Hard, which everyone does, which is everyone's favorite Christmas movie, I'm going to talk Die Hard 2, Die Harder, which is by definition a Christmas movie as well. Until then, feedback is always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. Join the conversation over the Facebook group. Just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. If you don't mind, why don't you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? That'll help, help others find the show. Until then, folks, we're all on the same team tonight. The Manascreen Podcast is produced by Mike Jumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Jumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound reviews on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.